You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I want to start this week, uh, a little, uh, this service, a little like we did last service. Uh, it's kind of an unusual beginning, but I just wanted to, to reach out to everybody and just kind of have a little uh, a one-on-one, uh, heart-to-heart message to you. Um, it, this series is called From Chaos to Christ. And we've been talking about that this world seems chaotic, and, and it really is. And this week, uh, this past week, I've met with several people that are just struggling in the midst of the chaos. And, and I hope that this church could be a family. And that uh, if you are new to Discovery, this is the first time here, or you've just been here a short time, I hope that you will feel like you're part of the family. And if you have been here a long time, I hope that this is a, a group that if you look around, you see people that would be there for you. That in the midst of a hard time, that they're there. Uh, yesterday, I, I went and I had a friend uh, that found himself in a hard situation. And, and I thought, man, if he, if he had just called me. And, and I, so I wanted to be able to relate to everybody. Uh, I wanted to give you my phone number. And I think we have it up on the screen. Um, to be able to reach out. That if you don't already have my number, I want to encourage you to please call me. To feel free, put that in your phone, um, you know, text it to your friends, send pizzas to my house, whatever you need. Uh, but uh, I wanted to give you my phone number because I, I sleep and we have the phone, my phone right next to me in, in, on the nightstand for a reason. That in the middle of the night, uh, we've gotten phone calls and I was able to go and, and be there for people. Um, even when I was a youth pastor, I remember it was about 1230, we got a phone call from this kid. And he went by Jack-Jack. And Jack-Jack called and he said, Matt, I don't know what to do. My mom's in jail and I don't have any money and I want to get her out. And so I went and picked Jack-Jack up in the middle of the night and we went down to the police station and, and I hit an ATM before and we got a little money to get Jack-Jack's mom out. And, and you might not be facing a situation like that, but I want you to know we are here for you. And whether it's my phone number or, or the number of someone else in this room, I hope that you see this as a family because this is a chaotic time, a time we need help, a time we need friends, we need family. And so uh, I just wanted to say a prayer right now over this, this whole idea and, and over you. And if you are going through something hard and you just need to reach out, come see us in the prayer room. Talk to one of the elders in the fireside room afterwards. Call me, text me. We'd love to be here for you. So let me just pray for, for that, if you will. God, I just pray for, if there's anyone here that, that finds themselves in just chaos, and that life is overwhelming and it's too much, God, I pray that you give them the wisdom to reach out before they make any uh, other decisions to be able to reach out to this family, this church family. And God, I pray that, that we can feel safe here, that we can feel real here, that this isn't a, a perfect place full of perfect people. By no means, God, we are people just flawed, but trying to follow you. And God, I pray that we can convey that to each other and be real with one another. God, I lift this up in your name. Amen. So this morning, we're working through the life of David, and we get to chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, and you're, we're going to meet a character. We're going to meet a guy who has an unfortunate name, all right? I was looking up some funny names that people had, and, and there was one person, they, his parents gave him the name Vanderson, which doesn't sound too bad, right? But his last name is Anderson, and so imagine going to school. I'm Vanderson Anderson, right? Uh, there's another lady whose last name is Turner, and her parents named her Paige, 
all right? And so there are some strange names. Some names are just weird when we translate it to like with our, our American, our English listening ears, uh, a foreign name. There is an actual lady in, in China whose name is Su Yu, and she's a lawyer. How awesome is that? Right? Like, her name's actually Sue Yu. And I was reading about, there's this lady in the 1900s, and she was a philanthropist. She was an art collector. She had Picassos and, and just walked around in the highest of circles, right, with all the wealthy people. And unfortunately, her parents' last name was Hogg, H-O-G-G. And she went to, by Miss Hogg because her parents gave her the first name of Ima, Right? I'm a hog. What an awful name. And so as we get to, we look at these names, there's one we're going to come across here in 1 Samuel chapter 25 that I don't know what their parents were thinking. Uh, his name is Nabal, and Nabal means fool. It means foolish. I don't know what they were thinking. If they were thinking like, hey, this kid's going to be a fool. If they're thinking back and like, hey, nine months ago, we had some foolish behavior. I don't know what was going on, but they named him fool. Other translations, like if you want a more literal translation, there's a name that's probably not appropriate for me to say up on stage, right? That would translate his name meaning donkey, all right? And so this is what his name means. When he would go introduce himself, it would be, hey, I am fool. And so it's just an awful name, but this is the character that we meet. And despite his name, he was incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goat, which I, I'm not in the sheep and goat market, but apparently at that time, it was great, right? And he was a very wealthy man, a very powerful man, a very mean man. We're going to come across several characters in this chapter, and, and that are, the characters are of great contrast. You got Nabal, which means fool, which means foolish. And we're going to meet Abigail. And the Bible describes her as beautiful and intelligent. And the word it uses for intelligence, not just intellectually intelligent, not just in her mind, but that she was morally intelligent, that she did the right thing, that she had a close walk with God. And so you have this contrast between this husband and wife. And, and then we're going to have David in here, the famous fugitive that we've been following along. And he's still on the run with his men. To set a little background for this chapter, uh, David and his men, there's about, uh, about 600 of them all together. And it's kind of like a small army, and obviously they had to find a place to sleep. They had to find a play, way to eat, uh, a place for this many people to gather. And so they took up a whole countryside, and, and part of what they would do to, to find favor with those that are in the countryside is they would defend those that were around. Saul was busy going to battle with the Philistines and other great nations. And in the midst of that, other little tribes, other uh, wild tribes from other, uh, other countries or even other villages would come and they would swoop in and they would raid village and village. We often think like this is a peaceful time and, or that the wars were just between this country and this. But sometimes it was all the way down to village to village. And so there's times that uh, other neighboring villages or other countries would send people over and send a little, a little army to go and raid a village. And they would then uh, slaughter whoever they needed to to be able to take and plunder everything that they could get their hands on. And so it wasn't a safe time. And so you have David and his army are here in this land. And, and so as part of a trade-off, they say, hey, we're going to camp here. We're going to eat here. And by allowing us to be in this area, we'll protect you. And so they served as a little, uh, a little militia, a little force that would protect the region. And so when others would come, they'd want to come and fight, and uh, a nearby village would come and try to send warriors, David's men would stop it right away. And they would protect the people, they'd protect the livestock. It, it was a safety, uh, a safety shield around this entire area. 
And so this is what David's been doing while he's been on the run. Uh, Saul, the, if you remember a couple months ago, uh, but in our Bible, it's just a week ago, or it's just a chapter ago, but it's several months ago, David and Saul meet up in the cave. Saul comes in and David has the restraint, the self-control to not kill him there. And they have this temporary truce. And Saul goes back and he ends up going and, and finding other nations. And David and his men are still on the run, but there's a little truce and they're finding peace in this area. And they're working to protect the people. And so that's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 25. We'll start with chapter 2. It says, A certain man in Moan who had property there in Carmel was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was, was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. It's one of those marriages that you're like, what was she thinking, right? That she's beautiful and she's intelligent, she's morally good, and then here's this guy, he's corrupt and he's awful and he's mean. And so you have this huge contrast between the two right from the beginning. Then we also have a conflict between an employer and employee. Or or maybe it wasn't an official employer and employee, but, but a gentleman's agreement between the two, between Nabal and David. And we step into this, verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in your name, in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Which I think is a great greeting. You guys should try this from now on, all right? When you see someone, long life to you. Welcome to your household, all right? And see how that goes, all right? And so David shares this nice, it's a peaceful greeting. It's, it's a loving greeting. It's a caring greeting. Peace to you. Peace to your household. Long life to you. Verse 7 says, Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. It's a simple request. David says, all this time we've been protecting you. And all this time we've been protecting you and, and we haven't done, brought any harm. In fact, we've, we've protected you and, and we've never taken a, a sheep. We've never taken a goat. We've never taken any plunder. While these other villages might do that, your stuff has been safe. And at this time, it was customary that during the sheep shearing time, uh, there would be a, a bit of like, a, almost like a tip, right? That you would give to anyone that's kind of helped with the process. And so it was understandable that David's men have provided protection. David's men have, have been made this a safe and, and profitable area that there would be a little kickback, a little tip. David doesn't demand any certain amount. He just says, whatever you feel is appropriate, give that. And Nabal's response is drastically different. Nabal answered David's servant, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Right? This might make sense. I'm sure Nabal, as a wealthy man, had many people come to him and try to to scam him out of money. And maybe he was a shrewd businessman and he knew to watch for that. But to call David a runaway slave, to say, who is this David? It's a slap in David's face. Everybody knows David. 
David's the one that killed Goliath. David's the future king. David's the one that is on the run, and he's been in this area encamped for some time with his army. Everybody knows who David is. Nabal knows, and yet Nabal acts like, who is this guy? I'm not giving him anything. And so he has a slap in, his fa- in David's face. As one commentator said, it's like waiting on a table at a restaurant and when, when it's the, and, someone, and you've done a great job serving and when it's done, instead of not only giving them a tip that they say, hey, you look like a kind of person that's just going to spend it on alcohol anyways. So he insults him. Not only does he not give him anything, he adds to it by insulting David. And so David's pride is at stake. This is a culture where you have to save face. This is a culture where honor is a great thing. And so when the message comes back, David's quick to respond. We see the message coming back through David's men, verse 12. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you, strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. You don't strap on your sword for just a conversation. David's been insulted, and he's taken matters in his own hands. He gets his little army, and he's going to go take with 400 men to take on Nabal and and Nabal's establishment of, of servants and people. They don't even know it's coming, and he's about to bring a slaughter, all because he's been insulted. All of us have a little weakness, right? All of us have some uh, uh, shortcomings and, and areas that we need to work on. And for David, it was anger. And I actually love that they include this in here because we're going to see so far in the story of David, we've seen him do some wonderful things. We've seen him beat Goliath. We've seen him have patience and resistance in the cave. But here we're about to see David is a man just like you and me. David struggles and anger and pride get the best of him. And David tells everyone, strap on your swords. We're going to go take what we want now. We've been insulted, and we're not going to put up with this. And so David begins to lead his people, and the word gets back to Camp Nabal. It says, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time, and we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what, we can, see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. I think it's interesting. David and his army are coming to destroy Nabal, and no one is willing to go to Nabal. He's such a wicked man. Everyone's scared of him. Everyone knows he's temperamental. Everyone knows that he's rude. Everyone knows that he, he, he's mean. And no one is willing to go to him, yet they're quick to go to Abigail. We see that contrast at the beginning where it says that she was beautiful and intelligent, morally good. And then there's Nabal. And now we see it played out. That when push comes to shove and no one's willing to go to Nabal and, and address it, they're going to Abigail knowing that she'll figure it out. She'll find a way. Nabal's fortunate to have this amazing spouse. That's a great support. If you're not married, this is a great passage to be able to reflect on when you're looking for someone. If you are married, then it's too late and you've already made your decision. So this is a good message to look at and know how you should act, right? That we should be that Abigail's in that relationship. 
And so we see this, and they come to Abigail, and they, and they present the problem to her. And she says, Abigail, act, it says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five says of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Now, side note, I shared this for the first hour. Uh, so when I read the Bible, this is what it's like. When I read that, I was like, they dressed five sheep. And I was like, I wonder what they were wearing. And they put little shirts on them and a tie. One, one little sheep's got pants and a belt. And so that's what I'm picturing, right? So you got these five dressed up sheep on a donkey. Quite comical if you think about it. All right. Uh, I don't know if that's what they meant. I assume it probably is not, but it would be awesome if they did. All right. Continuing on. Sorry. So this is what it's like reading the Bible with me. All right. Uh, in my mind. All right. Verse 19, then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. She's bright, she's intelligent. She's quick to figure out what to do, and what to do is to make retribution with David. That she goes and has them make 200 loaves of bread. This isn't something that she just has in a cabinet and she pulls out. This is something that she's intentionally, actively pursuing peace that she goes and makes this bread and she gets the sheep dressed and she does all these things to, to gather this gift and be able to bring it together and present this to, to David. She's actively pursuing peace, not just standing by. She could have easily just fled and saved herself and brought and took her maidservants with her and just fled the area knowing that she'd come back and she would be safe. But instead, she takes action to bring peace between the two. And then she goes. And there's David and his 400 men on, on horses, and, and they're riding, and a cloud of dust is coming. And it says that she meets him, uh, verse 20, as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face on the ground. When we read these stories, we don't think about the, the magnitude of what's going on. David and his army are coming down this valley. And Abigail, on her donkey, pulls her donkey to the side and sets up camp right in the path of David and his men. In this culture, it would have been nothing for them to have just slaughtered her as they went on. It would have been nothing for them to have thrown her to the side, to, for her, them to push her and her servants away and be able to continue on. But she's willing to sacrifice that to find peace. She's willing to do what it takes and step between her and David and Nabal. And so she finds herself there. And David stops and he, and he comes to her. And, and the speech that she gives is an impressive speech. It's a speech that's worthy of who she is when it talks that she's intelligent and wise. She tells him that, David, you're soon to be keen. You don't need to be doing this. David, when you become keen, you're, you don't want to have the blood on your hands of, of Nabal and all his servants. David, here's all this that I'm willing to give you. My, my dressed up sheep, my 200 loaves of bread, all this I want to give you as a gift. David, let revenge be God's. You don't need to put it in your own hands. It says, verse 30, when the Lord, she's telling him, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, she knows he's going to be king. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And then when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. What a speech. She appeals to him and his wisdom, his intelligence, 
that is not needed to have this bloodshed, but she also appeals to him and his God. There's this common ground, Yahweh, that she connects with him and says, God has placed you as the king. You don't need this senseless bloodshed. You don't need this and hanging on your guilt and your conscience. Let God avenge for you. You don't need to take it into your own hands. David hears her and changes his mind. I think that's one of the great things about why God made David king, is he's willing to listen. He has a teachable heart. That I love this about David, that he will see, he makes mistakes, but he often comes back around when he realizes these mistakes, and he has a humble heart, and he'll seek forgiveness to God, and in this situation, he hears her, and he realizes she's right. Let this be in God's hands. I don't need to put this in my hands. This is the same David that we saw just months before is in a cave and he feels convicted by God not to take Saul's life. And he stands back and he has self-restraint and now he's trying to come and kill Nabal just because Nabal insulted him. And so his temper calms down and he listens to Abigail and realizes, yes, this isn't God's plan for my life. He listens to her. And he, and, he get, and he grows from this, and he tells his boys, okay, we're headed back. It says, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. I'd love to say that Abigail then goes back, and she tells Nabal, and Nabal's so grateful. But that's not the case. David and his boys turn around, and, and I'm sure Abigail gathers together with her servants, and they breathe a sigh of relief. Certain death was before them, and now they're going to survive. And she goes back, and this is what she finds. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him about all these things, and his heart failed him and became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. He finds out that he was that close to death, and he has a heart attack right then and there. And 10 days later, Nabal dies. Just to let you know the future part of the story, when word gets to David that Nabal is dead, David says, God did avenge me. And then he sends word to the beautiful and intelligent and now single Abigail and says, hey, will you be my wife? She accepts, and she now will become queen of Israel. But as we look at this story, as we look at any scripture, we need to stop and say, so what? What can we learn from this? How can we grow from this? How does this make us draw closer from our chaos to Christ? And as we see this story, it's a story of contrast, right? It's a story between Nabal the fool and Abigail the wise. It's a story between Abigail's calm pursuit of peace and David's rash uh, actions and anger. It's this story between, uh, between David and Nabal, uh, David who cared for Nabal and his land uh, when he was reaching the sheep, and Nabal who had completely ignored David and his request for even a little bit of a, little bit of a tip. It's this story of contrast, and, and we look at this and wonder, where are we? Wise? Or foolish? Anger or peace? Where are we in this story? Or at least where do we want to be? When we've been offended, insulted, attacked, what is our response? Is it to fight or is it to bring peace? 
So often our response is to fight. So often our response is to seek revenge. It's to get the last word with our spouse. It's to make a comment on social media when someone's posts something that we don't like. It's to set up our, our fellow employee for the fall because we want to be able to move up on the corporate ladder. So often we, our response is to seek revenge. Uh, I have a fun story that I often go back to with Sarah. When, when we were first in our student housing at seminary, uh, I parked in a parking spot, and, and I got a note on my windshield that, from our neighbor that said, this parking spot is designated for, for our apartment, which it wasn't. But it says that this is her designated parking spot. And I went in and told Sarah, I was like, can you believe this? There's no marking on these spots. I'm going to park there every day from now on. And Sarah said, that's not right. She said, we're going to make them muffins. I was like, I don't think you read the card correctly, right? Like, she's calling me out, and we're, we haven't even met this neighbor, and she's telling me that I'm wrong. I was like, we'll just park there from now on. That'll show them. Sarah's like, no, we're going to make muffins, and we're going to go take it to her. So Sarah makes muffins, and she goes and moves our car out of the parking spot, and she goes, okay, come on, we're taking take muffins. I'm like, I'm not taking muffins. She goes, come on, we're taking muffins, and so I went and took muffins. And, and uh, so we go, and we meet the neighbor, and Sarah takes muffins and apologizes for parking in the car, and we say goodbye, and we go back. And we lived by those neighbors for two years. And I think back, and I think, man, if we had pursued my plan, that two years would have been constant fighting, constant bickering, constantly jockeying over a parking spot. And instead, because Sarah made her muffins, we had two years of peace, two years of sharing groceries when we needed, two years of a friendship. And so I think about this, and I think, where are we, the wise or the fool? In that situation, I was definitely the fool, I was blessed to be married to the wise. Hebrews 12:14 says, "Make every effort in life to uh, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord." What a verse. This is the verse that Abigail lives out. That in, in every effort to live in peace and to be holy, she didn't just stand aside. She didn't flee to save herself. She took every effort. She had the bread made. She had the, the sheep dress. She did all those things to bring peace, to live in peace with others, with everyone, it says, and to be holy. So I come to this and I think, where are we in this story? Or at least, where do we want to be? It's our desire to seek peace to live as the Bible describes, to be wise and, and to seek peace because we're seeking to be holy, set apart for God. Where do we do when we're faced with conflict? Do we talk behind the person's back or do we make every effort to seek peace? When someone's upsetting us on social media, do we make a quick snippet back or do we make every effort to make peace? When someone wrongs you at work or... Maybe in the home, when your spouse does something that you know maybe was on purpose just to hurt you, do you try to hurt him back, or do you make every effort to seek peace and share God's love? On your chair, you'll find you have a name tag. And so we made these name tags because we have an option. We have a choice. Today that we can walk away from here, and I said as we read the scripture, we need to look at what is the so what, and our option is, are we to be navel? Are we to be Abigail? Are we to be foolish or are we to be wise? 
That this week when situations arise, are you going to seek to bring peace, to make every effort to bring peace and bring it holy? Are we going to make every effort as David did, as Nabal did, to be fools and act in anger and rash? And I want to encourage you this morning to be Abigail. To peel off the sticker, the name tag, and, and go ahead and put it on. And when you head out to, to lunch later on today, they're going to be confused. Your waitress will be confused when there's five Abigails at the table, right? But to be Abigail, to be proud, that this is who I'm seeking to be. And, and maybe when you get home, take that name tag, or if you want to take an extra one, and put it in your Bible. Put it on, uh, on the window in your bathroom. Maybe put it on your steering wheel, because that's the place that you most need to seek peace and not anger. But seek to be Abigail. And this morning, as you have this name tag on, as you have a tag that says, I'm Abigail, you're saying, I'm going to seek peace. I'm going to live out this, this verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let this be our desire this week. And it might be minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day that we're going to seek this to constantly remember, today I'm going to be Abigail, not Nabal. Today, I hope that the message is not of one of a fool, but one of wise and morally good. I hope today is a message from Hebrews 12, 14, that I will seek every effort to live in peace and to be holy. This morning around the room, we have communion stations. And, and if this morning you have not found the peace from Christ, if you are finding yourself in the midst of chaos and you need God and you need Christ and you haven't accepted him as your savior, I want to encourage you to do so. Because Jesus came and he died on the cross so that we would have that peace. That we would have the peace in knowing that our sins are washed clean, the peace in knowing that we have eternity in heaven with him. And if you don't have that peace, I want to encourage you to come talk to me. Go talk to someone in the prayer room. Talk to one of the elders in the fireside room afterwards. Come and, and talk to us about that. But if you have already accepted Christ, this morning you have a name tag on that says Abigail. And you're headed to communion. I want to share with you a little bit more about that name. Like I said, names have special meanings, and, and I can't imagine why Nabal's parents called him fool. But I fully understand why Abigail's parents named her Abigail. The A-B comes from the Hebrew word of Abba, which means father. To cry out to God as our father, as Jesus did, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, chapter 14 of Mark, and he cries out, Abba, Father, take this cup from me if it is your will. That throughout, if you look up Abba in Scripture, you see that we, are in, that we are adopted as sons and daughters of Christ into our Father, our Abba's family. He is our Father. And you're headed to communion to, to focus on that relationship with your Abba, with your Father. And I want to tell you a little bit about what that relationship looks like. He sent Jesus to die for you. Isn't that amazing? That he's willing to send his son to be a sacrifice that we would have eternity in heaven because he loves you. Because as Ephesians says, we're his masterpiece. Because he cares for us. And this, as your name tag says, you are his joy. You see the full name Abigail means my father's joy. 
That's what your name tag says, that I am God's joy. And as you go to communion with that name tag, wear it proud and know that you are his joy because I fully believe that Jesus is looking down, that God is looking down and he sees you and he says, that is my child, that is my son, that is my daughter, that is my joy. As we look at him and say, we are my father's joy. My oldest daughter's name is Abigail. And, and when we were in the hospital, we, we gave birth to her. We couldn't figure out what name. And, and so like day four, the nurses are like, you really need a pick, right? And outside our door, it said Sarah Carell and, ba- and baby Carell. And so finally on day four, we decided on the perfect name, Abigail, because she is my joy. For many years, we'd been praying for her and God finally blessed us with a child. And, and so as I held her, I said, you are my joy. You are your father's joy. And every night when I put her to bed, I have a little saying that I say to each one of the kids, but for Abby, I say, you're my joy. And every night she says back to me, you're my joy too, dad. So as you partake in communion, know this, that God is looking down and saying, you are my joy. And as we partake in communion, let us look back to the Lord and say, you are my joy too. If you'll pray with me. God, I pray that we can come before you at this time of communion and just reflect on that we are your joy, that we are your masterpiece. And we know this because you were willing to send your son to die for us. That he took the sins of ours and placed them on the cross and conquered them when he rose from the dead. God, there's people in this room who find themselves in the midst of chaos. This isn't how they expected life to be. And God, we're clinging to you. In the midst of chaos, let us come to you and find Christ. God, let us do that through finding peace. God, if there are people here that are struggling, or that have been wrong, that have been insulted, that have, that have been hurt, help them to be able to find you to take from the story and, and live as Abigail, be wise and actively pursuing peace, to take every effort to have peace with everyone before this is holy. God, I thank you that you look down at us and see your joy. And God, let us proudly wear this name tag that we are your joy. And God, I pray that you are our joy as well your name.